I'm going to continue in our series called Built Different. I stand here to remind you today that you were made in the image of God to reflect the glory of God, that you are utterly unique and different from every other thing that God created. He made everything else and called it good. He made you. He called you very good. And he put a purpose on your life that is different from every other being's purpose on this earth. And we who have been called unto the name of the Lord, the spirit of God begins to transform us and change us from the inside out. Which means when we walk out of these doors and back into the world, we do not behave or act like the world does because we are built different. We do not respond to the issues of the world like everybody else responds to them because we are built different. In other words, you are in this world, but you are not of this world. You're different. And today we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17, reading a story that God really put on my heart. And if I'm honest, I was a little intimidated by it when he put it on my heart, because this is a story that you all have heard. You probably heard it in children's church growing up, and yet we never seem to bring it into the main sanctuary. Yet I believe that God has a word for us this Sunday morning coming out of 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath title of my message and the way that we are built different today is that we have favor in the fight. Would you turn with me to 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 40, and as you turn there, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the word of God. We're going to read the end of the story and then go back and study the whole thing. This is 1 Samuel 17, verses 40 through 50. Then he, speaking of David, took his staff in his hand And he chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand as he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer out in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. How many of you know David can talk that talk? <laughs> when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. Let's pray. Father God, maker of heaven and earth, come inhabit this place this morning. 
we are looking to you to be who you are, the same God you have always been, faithful then, faithful now, mighty then, mighty now, able to deliver then and able to deliver now. Reveal yourself to us through this word today, I pray. Lord, give us eyes that would see and ears that would hear and a heart that would understand what the spirit of the living God is saying to us today, that we would turn and be healed by you. Father, come in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you have ever been in what we call a nothing fight. A nothing fight often happens between spouses or siblings. If you're not familiar with what a nothing fight is, a nothing fight is a fight where the stakes are very serious, the energy is very high, the passion runs very deep, and the subject matter is irrelevant. (laughs) We just fighting because we're fighting. It's a nothing fight. If you've been married, you know these often happen early on in marriage. Some of you to this day continue to fight nothing fights. That's okay. God's got grace for you this morning. We're going to shine a light on it and help you with it. My wife and I have fought thousands of nothing fights over the year. We fight about where my shoes go in the house. I think shoes go by the door. She thinks shoes go in the drawer. In my defense, I'm a man on the go. I'm a man of action. I'm coming. I'm going. I've got things to do. I don't have time to open drawers and pull shoes. Who has time for that? I'm just trying to be efficient. You understand? And we fight about it. We fight about loading the dishwasher, which is something I've banned my wife from doing from now on because she's no longer able. I can fit twice as many dishes in the dishwasher, so just let me do it. Leave them in the sink. I'll take care of them, okay? We fight over whether expiration dates are real or not. Is anybody in the house testify? See, these are my people because first service was the same. I knew it. Expiration dates are a lie from big food to get you to buy new food to replace your good food. That's all I'm saying, okay? That's all I'm saying. Somebody else will come and they will correct that and please don't eat old food. You get sick. But I'm just saying, it expired yesterday. It's still good today. Let's not. Okay. (laughs) But we fight about these things, don't we? And we get heated about them. And we actually get our, in our feels about it. And we actually get mad about it. And we actually use words about things that when the fight is over, you step back and you go, we fighting about shoes. What are we doing? You buy the wrong brand of something at the grocery store and it explodes. And you're like, we fighting about jelly. What are we doing? There's always a reason to fight. We can always come up with a reason to fight. But a lot of fights are nothing fights, fights we have no business getting in the mix over. And yet there are other fights in our life that are absolutely necessary for us to fight. Fights that we are uh, required to engage in, things we have a responsibility to take action over. The nation of Israel finds themselves in a fight that needed to be fought. If you forgot the context of the story, let me set it back up for you. I know it's been a while since you were in kids' church. We're all grown and big in here now. We wear nice clothes and all that. We just get to run over there to grace kids and have ourselves a good time. So uh, the Philistines are a seafaring people from Crete. They come on boats by the Mediterranean Sea, and they land on the western side of Israel. They come in through the coastal plain up over the mountain ridge there and down the other side. And they're coming to conquer and attack and take land from the nation of Israel. 
Israel on the other side of that mountain range has some of their key cities, Bethlehem, uh, Hebron, Jerusalem, the capital. Those would be very key strategic territory that if the Philistines could take those, it would be bad news for the Israelites. So King Saul catches wind of the Philistines coming to attack. He gathers his army and he brings them out of the cities up over the mountain range on the other side. So they're there on the northern side of the mountains. Before them is the Valley of Elah. And on the other side, the southern edge, is where the Philistine army is encamped. And you know the story, they sit deadlocked there for weeks on end because if you were to engage the other side, you would have to come down off your mountain, over through the valley, and up the other side where you would be completely exposed. And if you've ever seen Star Wars, you know when the other guy has the high ground, it's over. It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. Anybody with me? Okay, okay, thank you. I got one or two. I put that joke in there just for Pastor Tellus because he watches us and I needed him to get a taste of home today because he misses y'all. So that's why I did that. Okay. Um, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Okay, so we're fighting the valley. Okay, there's the valley of Elah. You don't attack the high ground, so you're deadlocked for weeks. So the Philistines decide they are going to break the deadlock by proposing what's called single combat. They present a champion to represent their nation and their army. He will go down into the valley and face off against the champion of the other army, win or go home. The winner takes all. One man stands in the place of many to limit what would be a vast amount of bloodshed and death if the army is fully engaged. So Goliath comes down every day and he taunts and he calls out and he jeers at the Israelites waiting for them to send down a champion to fight on their behalf. And Israel finds themselves in a battle that needs to be fought over a territory that is very important because if the Philistines could take this valley, they would have a launching ground by which they could divide the nation of Israel in two and conquer many lands and, and probably eradicate the Israel from the face of the earth. So it's a battle that needs to be fought, a valley that's important, honor that's important. The only problem is none of the Israelites want to fight because the easiest thing to do in the world is to do nothing and we all have a reason not to fight it says in verse 11 if you take a look at it let's put it up as every day Goliath would come down and he would, he would issue threats and he would make claims and he'd talk about feeding people to birds and to beasts and he'd just being nasty and in response, it says this. It says, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That word dismayed literally means to be shattered. Think of it just straightforward. It means to be dismayed or unmade, which means when the Israelites heard the threats of the enemy coming against them, their spirits were broken and they were undone. I wonder what's keeping you out of the battles that God is calling you to fight today. Because we all have a reason why not to fight. Maybe you feel shattered. Maybe you feel broken because you've been fighting time and time and time again and you're not seeing the progress that you want and your spirit within you is just heavy and you just don't have what it takes to make it another day. Maybe like the Israelites, you're afraid 
You don't want to engage in the battle because you don't know what the outcome might be or might look like. So instead of risking it all, you stay back and just wait for somebody else to go for you. I know some people in marriage today are fighting that way. I'll do it when they do it. If they would start making peace, then I will respond with peace and you sit deadlocked. Easiest thing in the world is to do nothing, to wait for somebody else to fight your battle for you. Perhaps you have been presented with the opportunity to believe a lie about yourself. When David came to offer his services to fight, they told him, you're too young, you're not experienced enough, Goliath is huge, Goliath is a lifetime warrior, you don't stand a chance. They gave him reason after reason after reason why he shouldn't go and fight the battle. Maybe you've believed a lie that has been spoken over you, or maybe you're speaking lies over yourself today and choosing to believe them because it keeps you out of the discomfort of entering into the fight that God is calling you to fight this morning. As I prepared this message, I had the strong sense, the Lord really put it on my heart, that many of you are in the fight of your life. You're fighting for your marriage. Just can we make it another year? You're fighting for your children. Would the decisions that they make just be different? Would they walk with wisdom? Would their life stop going down the path it's going and go a different way? I know some of you today are fighting for your faith. You're not sure what you believe. Life has been too hard on you to believe there's a good God. And you come fighting for your faith. And I had the sense from the Lord that somebody here is fighting for their faith this morning, asking the Lord for a word from somebody to acknowledge to them that he is real. God burdened me with that. If that is you this morning, the preacher man up on this pulpit is the voice of the Lord for you, saying he's heard your cry. And he's acknowledging you in this space that your God hears you, he sees you. Keep fighting the fight. Don't give up. Some of you are fighting financially. You're fighting for your sanity. You're fighting for your place in this world. You are in the fight of your life. You find yourself up against it. And as much as the Lord burdened me for the reality that many of you are in a fight of your life, he also burdened me with the truth that many of you have stopped fighting. You've given yourself a reason not to fight. You've made excuses and you've allowed yourself to believe them. So you've stepped back, you've sat back, and you just watch things unfold before you. And if God wants to fix it, well, then God is just going to have to fix it. But as for me and my house, I'm going to sit on this couch and watch this Netflix. <laughs> what battle is God calling you into that you have stepped out of? And what reason have you given yourself to believe that it's not worth fighting? Easiest thing in the world to do is to do nothing. It takes a lot to get up and do something. So when David comes to the battlefield on this day, something happens that had never happened before. David comes to bring provisions for his brothers and for the king and to check on his, on his fam for his dad. And he comes and he's talking to the soldiers about what's going on. I see we're deadlocked. They're over there. We're over here. What's going on? And look at what happens. Look at what happens in verse 23 when David shows up on this day. It says, as he talked with them, as David talked with the soldiers, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. There was something different about this day. Something happened on this day 
that hadn't happened on any other day before in all of the weeks of this deadlocked battle between two mighty powers. On this day, somebody new was listening. It said that on this day, David heard him. And when David heard the threat from the enemy, David couldn't unhear that threat. David was a man that walked in integrity before the Lord. He knew what God had promised to him and his people. And when he heard somebody's coming against what God has given to me, David said, I can't do nothing. I've got to do something. David heard correctly what was happening. And I feel like there's a David anointing on somebody today who's going to hear for the first time in a long time the correct threat that is coming against you and your household. See, here's the problem. You thought your spouse was your enemy. They're not your enemy. They're your greatest ally. You thought your child was the problem, and if they could just get right, that you'd be all right. You thought it was your coworkers making a big mess, your family making a big mess, and if they could just get it together, you'd have it all together. But I'm here to tell you today that you do not battle flesh, nor do you battle blood. Look what it says in Ephesians 6. We war not against flesh and blood, but cosmic powers, rulers, authorities, things that reign over the present age of darkness. There is a spiritual force, a spiritual power that is coming out every day and issuing threats to you on this Sunday morning. And I need somebody to hear like David heard. That there's a Philistine coming against your household. You're not just having trouble communicating. We've been married a long time. No, your marriage is under attack. Your child is not just like, I don't have wisdom right now. I'm still growing up. Your child is under attack. Do you understand the thoughts that rage in your minds, the things you believe that aren't true? That's not because you're just this weak, bad person. Stop telling yourself lies that God did not tell you. You have those thoughts because somebody is whispering thoughts in your ear and you're choosing to believe them. So when you release them and you recognize and you hear like David heard that it wasn't the army that was the problem, it wasn't his brothers that was the problem, there was a Philistine from Gath. And once I hear him, I cannot unhear him. And I'm going to step into the battle that is before me. I need you to hear you're under attack this morning. And I don't say it to scare you because if that idea of spiritual warfare scares you, that tells me you haven't read your Bible. Read it to the very end. It tells you how it turns out. If you're afraid some devil going to come get you and some demon going to snatch you up, man, read the book. That's not how it goes. The devil does not have authority to come into your house and take over your body and just oppress you. The book says the blood covers the house. The book says that Jesus died so you would have life and life abundantly. The Bible says that with one word from his mouth, demons scatter and flee because they're afraid of even the name of Jesus. So I don't say you're under attack to get you sitting back and scared. I say you're under attack because you need to hear correctly who you're fighting. Y'all been fighting in the wrong field for far too long. You need to make a peace treaty with your spouse and turn your backs towards each other so you can ward off the attack that's coming against your household. Do you understand what I'm saying? Perhaps the worst thing that could happen for the devil today is that you hear him as David heard Goliath. 
You hear him in a way that activates you for battle, that gets you to stand up on your feet, sit on the edge of your chair and say, the Lord has not called me to be passive. He's called me to be active. This is what makes us built different from the rest of the world. We don't run from conflict. We run towards conflict because God has made you a peacemaker, a reconciler, a grace giver, and a hope extender. Come on, somebody. God has made you an unstoppable, grace-filled, spirit-led, hope-driven, worship-singing, force of nature to be reckoned with. God has called you the church of Jesus Christ, against which even the gates of hell cannot stand. So why are you afraid of what's coming against you? He said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Even what the devil means for your evil, God will turn it for your good. That's in the book. It's what he said. And if he said it, surely you believe it. Surely it will come to pass. Because he does not utter a word that returns void. What he says, he does. And if he said it, he'll do it. The weapon might be formed, but it ain't going to prosper. It might be intended for your harm, but he's going to use it for your good. If it has come against you, the Lord your God has given you the strength in your spirit, put a fire in your belly, and is waking you up on this Sunday morning. Y'all put your weapons in the war chest. Snatch them back up out. You took your armor off because you're tired. Put it back on. I'm not here to play around on today. We don't run from the battle. It said once David heard him, David ran quickly at the Philistine. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. He entered the battle because he could not ignore the challenge of the one who was coming against all the good things that God had given him. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Nothing gives him more pleasure. And he would love for you to blame the people in your life instead of blaming him. Sits back and goes, I got them right where I want them. But on today, I need you to tune your ears to the Lord and realize that the word spoken, the attack coming, is not from your flesh. It is not from your blood. It is against, it is from a spiritual power that is coming against to take every good thing God has given you. He's coming to rob your household. Kick him out your house. Oh, we're going long today. <laughs> Saul, well, tell GCCK, take my time. They're going to be sound checking during the altar call. All right, let's go. So <laughs> David says, I will fight. And Saul says, thank you, but no thank you. You know, I'm sure we'll get a soldier. Like, don't worry about it. And David said, I don't think you heard me. I'm going to fight. He goes, but you're just a shepherd. He goes, yeah, well, while I was just a shepherd, a bear came against my sheep, and I slayed that bear. Oh, and while I was a shepherd, a lion came, and I struck the lion, and the lion went down, and then the lion rose up at me, and you know what I did, Saul? I grabbed him by his beard, and I killed him. And Saul said, let me, let me get my armor. And he brought to David his armor, and most of y'all say, what, David didn't wear the armor because it was too... Yeah, you're wrong. See, read your Bible. This is crazy. This is how we teach it. The armor's too big. David's some tiny little runt. Saul's some big, strong man. Read the book. 1 Samuel 17, 38. Listen, I go on vacation after this sermon today, so I am loose in the pulpit. (laughs) 
1 Samuel 17, 38. It says, Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with the coat of mail. David strapped his sword over his armor. He tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. He didn't say they're too big for me. He didn't say I can't walk around in them. He says, I have not tested them. That word in the Hebrew tested is the word nisa. It means, excuse me, that was incredibly rude. But sometimes when I shout, okay, there's a rumbling in my, okay. Speaking in tongues up on the. That word, we're having fun today, 1045, are we not? God is in this place. We family. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. That word tested, Nisa, it means to try, to test, or to prove. And so what David is saying when he says, I cannot go with these, what he's saying is this armor hasn't proven itself to me yet. He's saying that I don't know if it's going to work for me because when I was in the field killing bears and lions, I didn't have all this. I didn't have a coat of armor. I didn't have a sword. All I had what was in my hand. And if I'm going to battle, I'm going to battle with something that's tried, true, and tested, something that's proven itself to me before. So my question for you is, what has worked before? What have you done before that has worked for you then that you've stopped doing now and wondering why you got the same problems you had back then? What's worked before? Have you prayed and got an answered prayer? Have you fasted and heard from the Lord? Have you come and worshiped and had hope come up in you that you didn't have before? Have you confessed and received grace? Have you forgiven and experienced a reconciled relationship? Now, here's the thing. That stuff you're sick of hearing about because you come to church every, every week and half of y'all come twice a week. And we stand up here every day and say, read your Bible every day. Worship even when you're low. Lift up your praise. We say, pray to God and call on heaven. And the reality is those things aren't shiny. They aren't new. They aren't exciting. And when you've been low and when you've been in a battle for a long time, those same old things don't sound very good. They sound so familiar, you're sick of hearing about them. But can I just remind you today, they work. Part of the problem with us is that we always want the new thing, the shiny thing, the next thing. We're tired of the same old thing, so we want a brand new thing, and we forsake the very thing that God has put in our hand to fight the battle that's before us. And we get so excited about what's out there, we just want to put Saul's armor on. But you have not tested it. It has not proven itself. So what has worked for you before? Because when David was out in the field, he wasn't wearing armor but he was slinging stones. It's very likely that as David sat with his shepherd's staff in his hand, watching over his sheep, that he would twirl a sling and take some target practice. It said he struck the lion, and then when the lion rose up, he grabbed him by the beard and killed him. What do you think he struck him with? Maybe David's that hardcore, he took a staff and he like went after him. Maybe, I'll give him that. David's a tough dude. But what makes more sense to me as someone who works smarter and not harder is you bring a long distance weapon to the sheep pen. So before somebody gets to your sheep, you can whip them from a distance. Now I'm guessing that David had experience with a sling and a stone. The Bible doesn't tell us that explicitly, but it makes a lot of sense because he goes down into the valley to fight against Goliath who is heavy infantry. 
big old coat of armor, three weapons, a sword, a spear, a javelin, a big old shield that a shield bearer has to carry before him. This dude is armed to the teeth and ready to go. And David said, that's good for you, but it ain't good for me. I've not proven myself under those conditions, but I have proven myself with a sling in my hand. And this sling in his hand, they make it sound like he's got some wrist rocket pea shooter with a little pebble and God just guides it and he just hits a soft spot that never healed for Goliath. Like it's some craziness. A sling was a deadly weapon. In Judges 20, it says 700 left-handed men could sling a stone and hit a hair without missing. That was a weapon of war. It was a long distance artillery weapon. You could spin that thing six or seven rotations per second and unleash it with deadly force. So when David steps down into the valley, it's not as much of an underdog fight as we've always led ourselves to believe. It wasn't a question of sword versus slingshot, but it was a question of putting the right hands on the right weapons. And I know the Lord told me today, some of us have laid down our weapons. We just need to pick up the right ones. So David, with a shepherd's staff in his hand, five smooth stones in his pouch, and a sling in his other hand, walks down in the valley floor to face Goliath from Gath, the champion of the Philistines. And he comes down confidently, expecting the greatest victory of his life over the greatest opponent he's ever faced. And he comes confidently because he trusts in what the Lord has put in his hands. He took what God gave him, five smooth stones and a sling, and he trusted in what the Lord could do with it. What has God given you that you have laid down, that he's calling you to pick back up and trust him to do more with it than you could do in, on your own? Here's the thing you don't understand. The weapon that God's put in your hand is more powerful than a thousand weapons in the enemy's hand. And I don't say it because it preaches good. I say it because it's true. Here's what you don't know about the rocks in the Valley of Elah. The rocks in the Valley of Elah are made of a substance called barium sulfate. Barium sulfate is twice the density of a normal rock. So when David goes down to pick up some rocks, he's picking up a deadly weapon, a rock that's twice as dense as any other rock around. This battle could have taken place anywhere. God said, I'm stacking the deck. I'm putting it in the valley where I've put a good weapon in your hand. And when you go down to the river to pick up some smooth stones, that smooth stone is going to do double the damage. There is more power in the simple, boring weapon God has put in your hand than a thousand weapons you can find anywhere else. The devil wants you believing that the stones in your hand are weak weapons that need a miracle to work. They want you believing, man, I'm sending my prayers up and I hope one hits the right spot. I hope I get the words right one time. I mean, I'm just trying, but maybe if I get a miracle, then God will hear me. That's how he wants you believing. But there is more power in your prayer than you understand. More gets done when you fast than you can see. There is more power in your worship, in your hope, in your reconciliation, in walking in accountability than you understand because God is doing so much behind the scenes that you don't see happen in the field. He has the deck and put a good weapon in your hand. All David had to do was trust in what the Lord gave him and release it. And I know somebody's got a word from the Lord today. There was a prophetic word spoken over you a long time ago. There was a scripture that God has placed in your path that you stood on once, but you've let it fall by the wayside. And God is saying, take what I've given you and release it. Speak that word again. Release the word of God over the battle again. Some of you have a burden and that's heavy. And that God has given you that burden so that you could learn what it's like to release it to
to him, to experience the freedom and the grace gift of God when he draws near to you. Take what's in your hand and trust what the Lord can do with it. So, stand on the memorial stones, the testimony of God's faithfulness to you over many years. His faithfulness to your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe his faithfulness to your spouse or to your children. Remember the battles that you've won and let them encourage the battles yet to be fought. David said, I beat a lion and I beat a bear. What you talking about with Goliath? I'm not worried about it. Stand on the memorial stones. Build your life on the foundation stone. The word of God that is true and everlasting, that holds you up, that is a sure foundation so that when wind or wave come against you, you don't find yourself on sinking sand, but you find yourself on the rock that is the word of God that holds your house up in the storm. Join yourself with the living stones. Peter says we are living stones being built together into a holy temple in which the Lord would dwell. Commit yourself to community. Find a small group. Get on a service team. Stop doing your life by yourself, but pick up the living stones all around you and walk through the battle with other people in your life. And don't you for one second forsake the rock of your salvation, the cornerstone, the one the builders tried to reject, Jesus Christ by name, the cornerstone that holds all things together in your life. God has given you stones to fight the battles that lies before you. Here's the thing about this message as I race to a close. This message is not about you defeating the giants in your life. This message is not about you conquering in business. It's not about you making more money. This message is not about inspiring you to lift heavier weights at the gym. I know my discipleship group thinks it is, but they're still lifting those little weights. See, he's in my discipleship group. That's messed up. <laughs> That's Charles. <laughs> That's why you got to serve at Grace. You can mess with me. That's hilarious, Charles. <laughs> this, this message is not about how God wants to give you everything you've ever desired. It's not about how God just wants to pull you out of trouble so you can have a happy and blessed life. I need you to understand this message serves a vastly different purpose. This message is to let you know that you are in the fight of your life. And there is an enemy army encamped across the valley that is no match, that you are no match for. And if you were to walk down into the valley on your own strength and try to fight it all by yourself, you would get swallowed up. All men and all women throughout all human history have tried to fight the battle of sin by, their, by themselves. They've gone in their own flesh and in their own strength and every single one of them has fallen. Not a single one has stood. And so the Lord sees you up against an enemy army of which you can do nothing about. And the Lord your God proposes single combat. He says, I will send one to save the lives of many. That one would shed blood so that many thousands wouldn't have to. I will come and be their champion. I will come and serve as the intermediary to represent them so that they don't have to represent themselves. And so Jesus comes and he fights the right enemy. He does not fight flesh and blood. He does not come on a Sunday and go, you really need to get your act together. You really need to clean it up. Listen, here's what's wrong with you. He knows that this is a spiritual battle that requires spiritual weapons and that the wages of sin is death. 
and the price of atonement is shed blood. And he says, I will come and be the one to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. He did not wear the armor that they wanted him to wear. They wanted him to come like a king with a military behind him, riding down off the mountain on a horse. Instead, he comes down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, on a donkey. One man ready to give his life on behalf of many. And he took what was in his hands as they nailed his hands to a cross and put nails down between his feet. And what did he do? He released the thing that God gave to him. It says, I surrender my spirit. And with that, he declares, it is finished. And it confused everybody that watched it. Because victory in the kingdom of God looks a lot like surrender. And victory for you today is not that you realize how strong you are. I just got to have more faith and just battle on. And I got it in me. The victory for you today comes by surrendering and letting your champion fight your battle for you. To realize the weapons he's put in your hands are weapons of mass destruction. David said, I come to you in his name. Not in my strength. Not in my sling. Not in my stone. I come in his name. And here's what I need you to realize. The family that God has given you was his long before it was yours. He knew you before he made the foundations of the earth. It says he knew every hair on your head before he created a single thing. He's known you a lot longer than you've known him. And the Bible says that if the sparrow does not have to plant or harvest, but has enough for every single day, and if the flowers of the field don't have to toil or spin, and they are arrayed in beauty far beyond even Solomon's wardrobe, how much more has your God in heaven seen you where you stand and know the battle that you're in and is waiting, ready, waiting, and willing to come and rescue you? What you're fighting for was his before it was yours. He's got more stake in the game. And he loves it more than you ever could. So what do you have to do? Like David, you have to release what's in your hand and trust that the Lord will guide it to hit its intended mark. David says, this battle, this battle is the Lord's. This battle is the Lord's. It's not even mine to fight. So when the challenge was issued, he said, yeah, I'll go ahead and go because the battle don't belong to me. It's like 2 Chronicles, King Jehoshaphat. He says, the Lord says, you will not have to fight this battle for the Lord your God fights on your behalf. Some of us need to step back in to engage in the warfare that's before us. But you need to go not in your strength because you don't save you. He saves you. That's the gospel. The whole point of this whole message is the same old boring stone that Christ, your God, became man and dwelt among us. He lived a righteous life, one that you couldn't live, one that I am hopeless to live. And he did miracles, signs, wonders. He taught the word. He fulfilled the word. He was the word. And he went to the cross to pay the price from your sin, the weight of all the sin of all eternity on his shoulders so that we would become the full righteousness of God. You've heard it a thousand times. Now release it in your spirit and allow it to take root because it is a boring stone. It's an old stone, but it is a deadly weapon. With the gospel, truly believed, 
truly understood down in our souls there is no battle there is no enemy there is nothing that stands against us in this earth there is no relationship that is so broken that God can't reconcile it if we both understand what the gospel truly means. This is all I'm trying to get you to understand this morning. In every fight that you go into, you have the favor of the Lord your God in the battle with you because he has already fought on your behalf. He's already won what you're chasing after. He has done it. It is finished. So surrender. And watch how God, God guides your life to accomplish the purposes that he set out to accomplish in your life. Watch how he heals and restores and repairs things you thought were so far gone. Watch and see what the Lord does when you fight his way. Let's pray. Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Jehovah Nisi, the banner that flies over us as we go into battle, Jehovah Rapha, our healer when we're wounded, Jehovah Shalom, the Prince of Peace, who gives us peace that surpasses understanding. Lord, we look to you today to fight on our behalf. We release that which we've held on to for far too long. We surrender, we yield, and we give to you what was yours in the first place. We take it out of our hands, Lord, and we put it into your hands. Father God, I pray for those here today who are hearing you speak to them like they've never heard you before. Lord, would you finish the work that you've started in their lives?